Here we go again with another episode of Longevity Now, the place for all your news and views of life extension from around the world. Today we have a familiar guest, Dr. Matthew O'Connor. He started out with the MitoSense program at the Sens Research Foundation and has now moved on to found a new company, Underdog Pharmaceuticals. You might recall in the interview from last year that Dr. O'Connor is now working on a new biotechnology platform to selectively remove seven keto cholesterol and other harmful molecules from the human body. In my opinion, other than the effort by many companies to produce effective senolytics, underdog's success or failure will substantially affect the Sen's theory of aging. Listen in to find out how far underdog has progressed. And now I would like to welcome to the Longevity Now podcast, the co-CEO of Underdog Pharmaceuticals, Dr. Matthew O'Connor. Welcome. Hi, thanks. Uh, great to be with you today, Jessica. Yes, it's great to get another update from you and your company. We got an update last year, of course, when Underdog first spun out of the SENS Research Foundation. Could you give us an update or an overview of how the company has evolved or grown in the past few months or year? Sure. So as you'll recall, we, we sort of launched uh, with our seed round uh, we raised about $4 million in November of 2019. We built a great team. We spun out or into uh, SENS Foundation. Uh, we're still joined at the, at the hip with our mother organization. Mike Cope, my co-founder, and I stepped down from our positions at uh, SENS Foundation and uh, switched to running Underdog full-time. Uh, we built a, an amazing team of biologists and chemists and uh, computational people to, to run the company and have built partnerships uh, all over the world to develop both our, uh, our lead drug candidate targeting uh, oxidized cholesterol, which we uh, will, I'm sure, get into the details of in a second, as well as the platform for using our type of technology to uh, target other aspects of aging and disease. Okay, so I remember last year you had a handful of people that were working full time. Now, what's the headcount now? You say you've added you've added some team members recently. Yeah, not a lot. We're keeping the core team small and uh, and making a lot of partnerships around the world. So there's only nine employees of Underdog. Uh, however, we have really strong partners who are a part of this organization, such as two professors in Santiago de Compostela who uh, are part of the core of the computational team. Their, uh, their company is, is Medusa, but we have uh, an extremely uh, strong partnership and uh, meet together uh, all the time, uh, as well as uh, partnerships with Cyclolab in, uh, in Budapest, Hungary, and uh, Wuxi in China, and many, many other okay. Uh, yeah, I imagine then in the last few months, that's what's taken up a lot of your time is trying to build these partnerships, trying to figure out the legal ramifications and the financial ramifications of partnering up with uh, so many groups around the world. Yeah, but you know, it's, it's pretty smooth. We're good at it. You know, Mike, his background uh, before he became the founding CEO of Sense Foundation was was an intellectual property uh, lawyer and tech transfer expert, both in universities and in private industry and pharma. So you know we uh, we have his expertise. We have we have lawyers and and honestly, these partners that we find, we don't just 
we, we look for the best experts in the world. And we also look for people that, uh, that we can form relationships with and, and treat as part of the team and, uh, and, and grow to even call friends and uh, pre-COVID, uh, you know, have face-to-face meetings with and all of that. So it, it's been phenomenal to, uh, to build all these, uh, these relationships, collaborations, and partnerships. And you said you had a seed round of funding last year. And I thought uh, recently I read somewhere that you were looking for a larger chunk of money just recently. Well, so in 20, at the end of 2019, we closed on our seed round for $4 million. And now we've moved into our Series A raise. We've hit all of our milestones and more for our seed round. And now we've created a detailed plan for how to get to IND with, with FDA or IMPD with in the UK uh, and, uh, and other acronyms in, in other regulatory environments. But basically, we're, we have a plan to get to the point where our first drug is uh, approved for human clinical trials by Q1 of 2023. 2023. So, yeah, so we're uh, we're looking to raise eight million for that, and then the clinical trials after that uh, will uh, go up from there. So it's uh, it's exciting, it's nerve wracking, right? <laughs> uh, and I was going to save this question for a little bit later. What your biggest hurdle going forward is, but I imagine that the funding is one of those things. You need the money, otherwise you're going to be slowed down. Yeah, but you know what? Right now we're in a we're in a pretty good place. Uh, I'm not going to tell people not to not not to offer us money. But what we're looking for most right now in our in, in the investor conversations that we're happening is the right kinds of partners. Our existing investor pool is really happy and excited with our with our progress and our direction, and our lead investor has uh, has already volunteered to co lead the next uh, round to the to the tune of uh, about half of the round. And, and that doesn't even include any of the other current investors who may come on board. So uh, really what we're looking for are, uh, are new partners to uh, th- that we can imagine moving into the pharma space with the people who aren't just going to write us the, the check to get us to our first clinical trials, but who can help us build the, the partnerships and the relationships that we're going to need to do these, these bigger and bigger clinical trials and eventually pharmaceutical partnerships that we're going to need to make in order to, to get our drug uh, to market. Sure. Okay. So that brings up, uh, let's move on from the business aspect of things and the organizational aspect to more of the science. You just mentioned you moving into trials. Have any animal trials begun yet? And you mentioned maybe human trials by Q1 of 2023. Is that- Well, we're, 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 uh, we should have approval for human trials by 2023. We, we're in the uh, planning stages for our clinical trials, which really blows me away. I, I never would have imagined, you know, I can't remember you interviewed me maybe a year ago mm-hmm. uh, or a little more when we were launching. And to me, clinical trials were, you know, some sort of distant thing that I would have to worry about years from now. But actually I've spent you know, a decent part of the last year worrying about clinical trials uh, and making plans for them. So we don't, uh, we're, we're not uh, close to uh, recruiting subjects yet, but we are far along in, uh, in planning our, our first two clinical trials, but we haven't yet set, uh, set dates for them. But sometime, hopefully shortly after we get approval from uh, one of the regulatory agencies, we'll be launching into them, hopefully in early 2023. Back to your question about animals. Yes, 
we've done some really exciting work uh, and we're, we're pretty far advanced on that realm. Now, mainly focused on safety. So that's really key to, to getting, the, you know, there's two sides of that coin. One is getting the regulatory approval to move ahead. And the other is convincing investors uh, and, uh, you know, and of course, clinicians and, uh, and volunteers that, that, that you should be putting your drug into people. So that's on the efficacy side. So on the efficacy side, we've, we're not super focused on trying to cure, you know, mice or, or rabbits or something of atherosclerosis. We want to treat people. Unfortunately, by far the most popular animal models for, for atherosclerosis, the thickening of the arteries, uh, the occlusion of, uh, of the arteries that accumulates in essentially everybody as, as we age, that uh, rodents don't really get that, uh, at least not normal rodents in a normal lifespan. And so people do these genetic tricks, they knock out their ability to metabolize cholesterol, and then they get atherosclerosis really incredibly fast when they're like practically babies. And then people write papers about, uh, about how that happens. And so we are testing it in that model, and we are seeing some, some effects uh, of our drug. Uh, we haven't presented any of that data yet or... Uh, uh, can listeners can listeners expect that to be published at some point in the near future? That's super preliminary. So that's uh, that's just a little scoop for your listeners. Good. It, okay. It, that's uh, it will get published in time. What I do want to uh, tell your listeners about is that we've just had our uh, a huge manuscript accepted for publication in the International Journal of Pharmaceutics, and that's coming online momentarily, and uh, it has the entire story of the, the concept of our drug at the, uh, at the conceptual level through this huge computational process that we went through to screen through thousands and thousands of candidates iteratively uh, moving to the point where we had these uh, candidates that specifically bind our target uh, with, with high affinity into the test tube. Uh, where we actually show that it binds our target into cells where uh, we see that it improves foam cells in a dish and then into animals uh, where it's uh, safe and well cleared pharmaceutically from the, from the body. That's a super, super brief That's summary okay. of yeah. a very long manuscript, which was almost too long to get published, <laughs> but that's just uh, coming out right now. Later animal work will, of course, uh, be published. The, the safety work is what I want to emphasize, which is a big part of why I chose the type of molecule that we work with, cyclodextrins, as this uh, material that we would engineer into a drug. And that's uh, in the Sense Foundation why years ago I, I chose that as a tool was because I knew that cyclodextrins were already being used uh, for thousands of different purposes, industrial. Already, already FDA approved. For, many for different... some cyclodextrins are in fact already FDA approved to, for use in people. There's a decent chance that a decent number of your uh, listeners uh, right now have cyclodextrins in their bloodstreams. You happen to have gotten an injection of remdesivir because you were hospitalized for, for COVID, then, uh, then you have cyclodextrin floating around. Well, you probably didn't have it for that long because it, uh, it gets excreted pretty quickly. It's, there's cyclodextrins in Febreze and all kinds of other things. They're, they're used to make fat-free uh, foods and sure. fiber supplements. The, the point is they can be made to do a huge variety of things and they can be made to be extremely safe. Like you said, 
FDA and other regulatory agencies are pretty comfortable with them. And uh, my vision was that all we had to, that all we had to do was understand what can make a cyclodextrin really safe, mimic that aspect of it while engineering them to do exactly what we wanted to do, and then we would be able to both prove that they're safe in uh, in cells and then in animals, uh, and then convince regulators. And in fact, we've already taken the first steps towards convincing regulators that this will be a, a safe and a good drug candidate to use. Good. Yeah, you mentioned the cyclodextrins. Uh, it looks like a platform that's pretty flexible and could be very powerful, not only for removing seven keto cholesterol. Have you learned anything more about the chemistry of the platform in the last few months? Anything surprising while in the work that you said, wow, we didn't expect that? I'm just going to give a, a teaser that will probably not be revealed for a couple of years, but yeah, you don't have to give away any. Uh, some of the breakthroughs that we've <laughs> proprietary made information. at the computational level and at the basic proof of concept chemistry level are, are amazing. The, the kinds of things that we believe we're going to be able to do with next generation drugs and versions of this that are going to be the cyclodextrins that we've invented that are in, the, in our uh, lead drug are, are many, many times more powerful than any cyclodextrin that uh, that has been used previously that uh, that are available now, and the ones that come after that are going to take it up another order of magnitude. So we're super excited, not just about you know the next two three years and getting our first drug to market or you know into people, but the uh, the the other things we're going to be able to do with our platform and uh, other uh, aspects of aging and disease that we're going to be able to target uh, is going to be really cool. Yeah, it sounds great. And you did mention the trials coming up. Uh, you're laying the groundwork for human trials. Now, I know some older biohackers that might want to apply for such a clinical trial. Will that be possible? Do they have to live near the clinic that might be carrying out your trials? You know, I don't. I just can't get into that yet. Not, not because of any secrets or anything, just because we're not that far along. Got it. Um, the, there will probably be some demographic and geographic limitations. Interestingly, we had a phenomenal conversation with the MHRA, which is the the national competent organization of the United Kingdom, which is equivalent to the FDA in the U.S. And so we had our first regulatory meeting with them, and we were really excited by the, the encouragement that we got in terms of our plan for demonstrating safety for our plan, uh, our initial plans for early stage clinical trials, and, and even getting, we were shocked how little time, how little we got grilled on the safety stuff in the manufacturing, which is what we expected to get hammered on because that's what everybody gets hammered on. But we provided, I think, 700 pages of documentation on the, uh, on the safety and manufacturing of our molecules. And it didn't take long for us to convince them that we, uh, we had that in the bag. And before I knew it, we were talking about uh, phase one, two, and three clinical trials. Now, what's interesting about that is that they were excited about the potential for us to, to start testing our drug on, on people for whom we could actually see an effect in, meaning older, middle-aged people uh, who are asymptomatic, who, uh, who haven't been diagnosed with cardiovascular disease yet, but they've 
aged enough uh, and could would have measurable plaque in their arteries. So maybe our healthy controls for our phase one clinical trials are actually going to be people that we can measure anecdotally, of course, measure plaque regression in, which we're Exciting. super excited about. Yeah. Well, lastly here, I just wanted to close out. Could you reflect upon your journey as the founder, you know, co-CEO of a biotech startup? You know, there's a lot of people out there now getting into the industry, into the startup space. Uh, what would you want to tell them about your journey? It's, it's amazing. It, I, I have learned such an incredible amount in such a short amount of time about how the pharmaceutical industry works, how uh, regulators, uh, the regulatory agencies work, how drug manufacturing and how you bring a drug to market. The fact is, no matter how smart you are as a scientist, no matter how good you are at business, you need to surround yourself with people who know things that you don't know. Even if you think you know a lot and you think you know something about everything, you may know something about everything, but there's uh, a lot of people out there who know way more than you do about uh, anything that you haven't spent at least 10 years focused on doing. So you have to surround yourself with experts in uh, in different aspects of chemistry and aspects of, of the regulatory side of things, the, the business side of things, the, uh, the legal side of things. And you just have to be open, ask questions. You have to stand your ground when you need to stand your ground, but you, you need to be uh, constantly um, getting uh, advice and feedback from all the experts that you can Sure. Talk. And I suppose you mentioned Mike Cope earlier in the podcast, and that helped a great deal. His experience with the intellectual property type aspects, the legal aspects, I suppose having someone yeah. like that so connected really helped the, the process forward. For sure. And, and he's the same way. He's an expert at writing intellectual property contracts and stuff like that, you know, joint venture agreements and, and such and so forth. You know, we're moving into discussions with our drug manufacturer who will actually manufacture the, the drug that gets put into people. And this is a big deal, the contract uh, manufacturing organization. They, um, just the agreement that is going to be written uh, with them is going to be incredibly important. And he right away from the beginning said, I've seen a lot of these things and I know enough to know that we need somebody who's an expert in, in, in writing and negotiating and evaluating these because they're, they're a whole specialty on their, on their own. So <laughs> it's, uh, there's, there's a lot of little things like that, which is what I think has made our strategy of having the core team be so small and working with so many different contractors and, and partners all around the world to, to be experts in, in the million different things that, uh, that you need to consider has been uh, so key to our success. Well, great. Well, we certainly wish you the most uh, success here going forward. Looks like an exciting time. Over the next year or two, a lot of things will be going on. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Matthew O'Connor, for joining us on the Longevity Now podcast. Thank you. Uh, it's been a, a privilege, and I, I've always enjoyed the, the support of the uh, Longevity team. 
One thing for budding entrepreneurs to take note of is that it takes a lot of multidisciplinary effort and cooperation to successfully build and deploy a new biotechnology company. Given the hurdles, it is great to hear that human trials with the underdog cyclodextrin platform might begin in under two years' time. Be sure to tune in for another update next year. Until next time, I'm Justin Lowe.